the old days, it would just be as simple as you call up and say, look, I'm coming to town. Can I come and visit you or whatever? And they'd say, okay. And I show up and then the guy like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Right. And I, I would have, I wouldn't know. I'm like, I don't know. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, it would be, it would be very, you know, stilted or jilted or I don't know, whatever it is. Conversation. Like it was hard. It didn't flow. And, you know, I didn't have a process. Right. And I realized that the, you know, it was so much better if, uh, you know, I had a specific sort of uh, framework that I wanted to pass them through. Right. I mean, sales is, is, is advanced a lot nowadays. And there's a lot of like, uh, uh, you know, sales processes that companies take you through and it's very methodical, but when you're, when you're doing face-to-face selling, you know, on the road, calling customer after customer, I mean, it's all about it, relationships and what have you. So- we know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years? And why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing, who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lendy. With me, as always, is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Adam? It's a great day. Uh, finishing off the week strong. You're getting away this weekend, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Um, going up to Steamboat Springs, um, where it may not be raining. I think it's going to dump here in Denver. So good to get away. It's a perfect weekend to build a shed. That's what I got on the docket for myself. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Lovely. Well, let's bring in our guest today. Um, our guest is the vice president of Gap Wireless, uh, Glenn Poulos. Uh, Glenn, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Really happy to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and, and where are you coming from today? So uh, I'm I'm based in Toronto, near the Toronto airport. Uh, it, city's Mississauga, but basically the GTA, or as we like to say, the center of the universe. And um, all, all flights come and go from, from Toronto and... Uh, you know, uh, it, it's 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 a Toronto joke, but um, I work across North America. We uh, we co- we deal with customers around North America for the most part. So um, back back on planes in the last couple months. So traveling uh, for the couple of years before that, I was stuck at home like everyone else. But um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm based in Southern Ontario for the most part. And those who are listening, of course, who can't see because this is not a video podcast, can't tell that you know South. Park has lied to me for all these years because I thought Canadians always talked with their heads separating and just not the case. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel misled somewhere along the way. Uh, well, Glenn, before we jump into in, into some of the nitty gritty of what you do and what you're here to talk to us about today, we'd love to get to know the man behind the story. So if you could indulge us, share a little bit about who you are and why it is you do what you do. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm kind of a, a techie kind of a guy, but I'm not a super tech, like I'm not super, super technical. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more, uh, sort of, you know, uh, selling technical type of a person. And, um, you know, I got our interest in electronics early on and, um, I ended up working for the government and their electronics department. And they, they told me to get out of here. You should go be a salesman. I don't know. Like <laughs> my boss told me that. So in eight, 1985, I, uh, I applied for a job and, um, uh, you know, and I harassed the guy in the the first company I applied at 
uh, enough times. I kept phoning him over and over again to follow up until he hired me. And uh, I said he didn't want to hire me, but uh, and I stayed there for uh, till a few months before my 30th birthday. And then I, um, I decided that I could do what they were doing a little differently. And, and I, I decided to take a chance on this high flying technology that, uh, you know, as they would say back then, no, that'll never, that'll never, uh, that'll never amount to anything. Something called the cell phone. Right. And, um, the, uh, and so, you know, we were selling electronics back there, but I, I started a company focused on wireless in 1991. And, um, I ended up running it for 13 and a half years. I sold it and uh, to a public company and um, by hook or crook, we can get into it if you want, but that, that company ended up, uh, the public company ended up sort of scuttling our division after it was kind of a, a, you know, it was a reverse takeover style deal. And it was a fraught with some, uh, you know, uh, some ne'er-do-wells at the sea level. And they basically sucked us dry and I had to start over after 15 years. And, uh, I lost, uh, I lost all the money they paid me for the business that was in shares. And I was, you know, uh, basically left without a job and all the money I thought I had uh, earned selling my business was gone. I had to restart my business. So I started Gap Wireless in uh, 2007 and um, doing a similar thing, um, a few differences. And 15 years later, a U.S. private equity came along and this time they had all cash and they bought the business in February and I sold the business uh, February 4th, my business partner and I, and uh, we agreed to, uh, to stay on with them for, uh, for a number of years and help them run their business. But uh, yeah, that's my, my career in you know, a couple minutes or less, I guess. So, Well, congratulations. So going back to the start, you're a salesman of salesmen because you sold yourself on a sales job. I did indeed. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. The guy said, oh, I didn't want to hire you. And I'm like, why not? He goes, well, you had no experience. You didn't know anything about anything. Like, I mean, I'm like, why'd you hire me? And he's like, well, you're the only guy that followed up twice a day for two weeks. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, fine. If it makes you stop calling. I guess I'll keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was always a, a fond memory. Let's call it that. So love everything about it. Now you also have a book. I do. Yeah. It's um, so um, I started copying down rules back in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, and the, some of the rules even date me. One of them's like never fax the facts or ship the shit. Right. And, um, you know, people are like, well, no one uses fax machines anymore. And I'm like, Hey, just read the book and you'll, you'll figure out the, the, the meaning behind it. Right. And, um, you know, I couldn't figure out a pun about emails. Right. But, uh, yeah, I started writing down these rules and, um, I started naming them after people. You know, especially the ones where the, the you don't want to you don't want to do that uh, that particular uh, habit, right? And uh, and you know, uh, and then a few companies, uh, you know, a few people said, "Hey, can you come to our company and tell them these rules?" And so I did some public speaking back then, and then they're like, "Oh, you should write a book." And I'm, you know, then I promptly, you know, patted myself on the back and didn't do it, right? And and basically, time went on. I kept writing down the rules and telling myself one day I would do it, and then. When March 2020 hit in Canada, we were, uh, we were, uh, you know, quite locked down for quite some time. Like, um, you know, you, you couldn't go out at night. You couldn't really, you know, there's nowhere you could go. Everything was closed, right, for a long time. So I decided, well, hey, no time like the present. So I, uh, I said, hey, I'm going to write the book. And um, so I buckled down and, um, you know, and I got to it. And, um, you know, the... Uh, about, I think it took about nine months to write it. And um, the uh, I had about, when I got to 75,000 words, I hired an editor. And, um, you know, when when she got, when she took out all the times I said the F word, 
you know, I was down to 71,000 words, but she said it was still enough for a book. And so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I went and did the copy edit and the content edit, the fact checking and all that stuff and, and um, cover design. And then in February, the funny thing is the book went live on Amazon the same week I sold my business. And um, so the book went out, came out in February, which is the uh, same, same week I sold the business. So it was kind of a pleasant coincidence. It's a monumental week right there. <laughs> yeah, it was indeed. Yeah. So how relatable, I'm talking about your rules. And of course, what that brings to mind for me is Ray Dalio's book, Principles. Is this like a similar theme, your, your rules? Are they much along the same vein? Yeah. And I know I've read that book and I mean, but you know. A heavy one. 60 now and I've, I've got, yeah, I've got, you know, such an awful memory, right? And, um, but it's it's a little more, like it's more anecdote kind of a book, right? Like uh, we, we have two new people that started in sales in the last few days or whatever in my business. And um and so uh, one of the managers came into me and said, oh, you know, I had Sarah out at this customer um, and I'm like, oh, how'd it go? And, and um, he basically then went on to say two of the rules from the book, right, that she, he taught her to deploy that helped her get in the front door, stay in the front door and find some opportunities with this customer, right? And one of the rules is, you know, always show up with something in your hand and something in your mind. And um and so, you know, they had some swag, they had some donuts because it was a crack of dawn and it was contractors that they were going, you know, the guys with trucks and ladders and, uh, you know, um, and so they had a box of donuts, they had some swag and they had some, some literature on some of the products we sell. And, uh, you know, they had, they wanted to tell them about some of our new vendors. So they, and the second rule was always ask for a mini tour, right? Which is basically when you're in the lobby, of course, the rule number one in the book is never sit in the lobby. That's the name of the book, right? always be standing up, keep your cell phone away, you know, uh, no distractions. And when the guy comes up, the guy or girl comes up, be ready to greet them. And so, but then later on, ask them for a mini tour, get behind the front door, you know, and get into their building. And in this case, they got into their warehouse and into their engineering section, you know, and they were able to see like, oh, wait a minute, like, why, why aren't you buying that stuff from us? Like, we sell that, we sell that, we sell that, we sell that, you know, and I mean, you know, she's taking copious notes and so she's able to take the book, flip to three different pages and basically come home with like, you know, a bunch of opportunities just by applying these, you know, kind of kitschy little rules. Right. And um, and basically there's 57 of them, you know, and they some of them are, are to do with sales calls and, and some of them are just how not to be annoying when you're at dinner with a customer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, I, I like the way you're starting off, especially some of the titles, something in your hand and something in your head. Yeah. Uh, what, what's that relate specifically to? Well, I realized like there was some time when I was, when I was younger making these calls or whatever that, you know, I would, I would be able to, you know, in the old days you would, you know, I would, it would just be as simple as you call up and say, look, I'm coming to town. Can I come and visit you or whatever? And they'd say, okay. And I show up and then the guy like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Right. And I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know. I'm like, I don't know. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, it would be, it would be very, you know, stilted or jilted or I don't know, whatever it is, conversation. Like it was hard. It didn't flow. And, you know, I didn't have a process. Right. And I realized that the, you know, it was so much better if, uh, you know, I had a specific sort of uh, framework that I wanted to pass them through. Right. I mean, sales is, is, is advanced a lot nowadays and there's a lot of like, uh, uh, you know, sales processes that companies that uh, like, like SaaS companies take you through and it's very methodical. But when you're, when you're doing face-to-face -face selling, you know, on the road, calling customer after customer, I mean, 
it's all about it, relationships and what have you. So I just came up with, you know, I would, I would check out either their website or their, or their company information, their literature, whatever. And I, you know, find out what are they working on? What's their next project? What, you know, what are their, so something in my mind to go over with them to get the conversation going. And I always found it was just something I figured out. I don't know why it'd be, but if I had something in my hand, it was kind of like a, an icebreaker, right? And a lot of times it was either, you know, like I said, swag, you know, like a water bottle or a screwdriver or a letter opener, or whatever the latest company swag was. Or if I was farther along, I might be bringing them some pricing or something like that, right? And that's where the rule never fax the fax or ship the shit comes in, right? And um, of course, I started in 85. And in 85, we didn't have a fax. We literally had a telegraph machine. It was like this, this, this little electronic little thing went across the thermal paper and you'd type on it. And somehow it showed up on the other end. And we literally were sending messages that way, or we were typing a quote on, on NCR paper, you know, a triplicate and mailing it to the customer. And then one day in like 86, 87, the fax machine showed up and I went from having a week to send a quote to a customer to like, can I have my quote in 10 minutes? Because now there's a fax machine, right? And, um, but I realized like, if, you know, it's all oh, just fax me a quote. And I'm like, okay, well, then I followed up and he doesn't answer the phone or, oh yeah, no, I sent it to the powers that be. And how do I relay that to my boss? So I came up with a thing where the guy wants a quote. Okay, I'll send it. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to be in your lobby next Thursday, by the way. Can I drop off the quote? It's like, well, I'm really busy. I don't have time to like see it or whatever. And it says like, oh, I'm going to be there anyways. I can just drop it off in the lobby. It's like, okay, fine. Drop it off in the lobby, right? Show up in the lobby. Of course, I never sit in the lobby. Rule number one, something in my hand, the quote, something in my mind the price, the discussion. And then I bring Sally, if Sally's there or whatever, I might bring donuts so I can bribe her to convince Bob to come down and get the quote. It's like, Hey, Glenn's here. He brought some donuts and uh, he's got your quote said you're expecting him. He's like, Oh yeah. Right. And he, he didn't remember that he said he was too busy and he couldn't talk to me and whatever. And he's like, well, he's here standing there with the quote. I guess I better come and get it. And 90% of the time they would come to meet me and I'd flip open. I'd have the thing open with my thumb, right? right below the price. And I'd say, you know, you were looking for the price. Here's the, here's the thing. Can I, can I get it? You know, first reaction from you on the price? Like, what do you think? You know, how's it look? And I can usually tell, like, was he just needed a quote from me because he needed three quotes or was my pricing out to lunch or, you know, was I in the ballpark and, you know, and usually, and then I could figure out where to launch from there. Right. And I might ask him for the mini tour. I might, you know, ask him if he could sit down and chat about the price to the product. And, um, you know, and I, how would I ever done that if I had a faxed it to him? Right. And, you know, and again, the second part of the rules, he might say, oh yeah, no, your pricing looks good. We'd like to look at one of your instruments. You know, can you ship it to me? And uh, like a demo or whatever. I'm oh, no problem. I said, you know what? It's amazing, but I'm actually going to be back here on Tuesday. I can drop it off. He's like, no, 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 just ship it in. He's like, no, it's okay. I, I don't mind. Like, I'm going to be here anyways. I might as well set it up. Okay, fine. Whatever. Because I would ship the demos before and then I would harass them to come, you know, how's it going or whatever. And I come back and there'd be a week of dust on the unit. They didn't even open it. Right. And in this way, I go in, I set it up. I call over a few guys. Maybe it's an expensive instrument. I follow my other rules. Shit flows downhill where before I show up with the instrument, I've called like the CEO or the director of finance or the engineering manager, the VP of of technology or whatever, it doesn't matter, whoever the guy is that's gonna sign a requisition for a $70,000 instrument. And, um, 
And I'd say, Hey, I, the instruments here, the guys, the guys are loving it. You, can you pop down? I know you're going to have to sign off on it. Why don't you have a pop down and have a look at it? It'll only take two seconds, Jack. And typically they would come down and then they're like, Whoa, the, the VP of tech's down here, checking out this box. We better me. And then I could, you know, and I would keep in touch with them and I'd, I'd use all these excuses to be my next excuse to get back in front of the customer. Right. And so I didn't have to spend time like, Oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? Because I was building my tomorrows today all the time, right? Dropping off quotes, scheduling the next visit, you know, following up on it and dropping off the unit, checking it up, setting it up, checking on them a few days later, and then picking it up at the end of the week and figuring it out. Right. And, um, yeah. So, you know, those are like seven, eight, nine, ten of the rules so far. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I still do it the same way today. Right. And uh, you know, I just follow the same process and it, it, you know, it works pretty well. Right. And um, yeah, I've been, I've been rambling quite a bit. So maybe I should take a breath. And- no, no, that's, I, I appreciate it, Glenn. And I, I agree completely. Today's facts is email Yeah. and, you know, or, and, or social media for communications, which I think is even worse than the phone. I mean, yeah. you get people time to be able to distance themselves from you. So yeah, it be, being aggressive and getting out there is how you're going to get stuff done in sales. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, a lot of, you know, most people that are selling high-end products, you know, physical products, right? I mean, at some point you have to visit that customer, right? So the more time you can spend in front of them building the relationship and, you know, the rapport, I find, you know, the better, right? And um, so I also spent time, you know, explaining simple things to them about, you know, how to show gratitude, how to show empathy, um, how to practice active listening. And those are all part of the the core tenets of, um, you know, our business and uh, of, of, you know, of being, you know, what we call committed to service excellence, but what we really mean is being a pleasure to do business with, right? Like you want them, even if you're not going to win the deal, you want the guy to say, hey, you know what, you guys are a pleasure to do business with. So the next time, you know, you might not have had the best box or whatever, uh, overpriced, under underperforming, whatever, you're not always going to win. And, um, but you want them to, you want them to enjoy the process of working with you and be happy to work with you again, right? And um, yeah, so so I spent a fair bit of time in the book going over, over some of those concepts, which, which can apply in any job, not just sales. Right. Yep. And, and you don't always have a lot of control over the box, yeah. but you do have a lot of control over the customer oh, yeah, experience. For sure. and I'll tell you, you from a, from a consumer standpoint in business and personal, I have made decisions based on the person I'm interacting with more so than yeah. the product I'm purchasing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my, uh, another one of my rules, never forget a face. Right. And, um, the um, and so basically what I do is it's it's sort of sort of a combination rule. I have this call book factor where it, nowadays I do it in my phone, right? But in the old days I had a book that I wrote the names in. But when I pulled up to the to the drive to the parking lot before I went to not sit in the lobby, right? I would flip through the the call book or my phone or my laptop, whatever, and I would scan the name and the face, right? Nowadays, it's even better because now I can just go to LinkedIn if I don't remember their face and literally see their face, right? But back then, I would say like, okay, yeah, Sally, she's the that that tall lady in purchasing and Jack, oh, that's the bald dude in like in engineering. And then I would literally like remember them and pull everything back to the front of my brain, right? And then I'd ask this guy, hey, can I get a mini tour of your new lab and, you know, whatever? And it's like, oh, okay, fine. Why is it a mini tour, right? And I'm like, it's a mini tour because a tour takes like an hour and a half. Everyone's sitting on a bus, getting all sweaty. And there's a guy, you know, t- ranting and raving for an hour and a half, takes a half a day. 
you know, and it's boring as hell, but a mini tour is just a mini tour, right? It's just like a mini tour. It's just a quick look. And, you know, and so when you make it seem so like inconsequential, they're more likely to cooperate. Right. And, um, but so when he's taking me in to see the new lab on my mini tour that I asked for, guess who walked by Sally. And I'm like, Hey, Sally, how's it going? I I haven't seen you in a couple of years. How are you, Jack? Oh my God. There, holy shit, I can't believe it's you. Wow, I haven't seen you so long. Bill, Bob, Sam, Joe, whatever, right? And everyone's like, and the, this guy's thinking, holy shit, this guy knows everybody. <laughs> and and also the people that are walking by are like, who the hell is that guy? And then they go, oh, right, that's Glenn. Yeah, he works for Gap Wireless. Oh, I can't believe you remembered me. That's amazing. And then, you know, and and then later, you know, times would come by and they it, I'd bump into those people just sort of like, you know, uh, anecdotally or whatever, and they would just say, Oh, you're so nice to see. We always love seeing you. We love it when you come by and you're such a nice person. And, you know, because you've remembered their name. Right. And the worst part is the opposite. Right. When you don't follow that rule and Sally remembers your name, she's like, oh, Glenn, how are you? And you're like, oh, hey, uh, uh, um, I know it's in there. I know it. I remember it. But she's already, you know, she's already three doors down in the hallway, walked past you and pissed off that you don't remember who she is. Right. And uh, so I love that rule. And, um, you know, and these are easy things that everyone can practice, right? In business and, you know, when they're, when they're going out networking or, you know. We can get away with forgetting men's names a lot easier, by the way, because we can throw it out. Hey, man. Hey, chief boss, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any of those for women. Dude. Yeah, that's true. You can do that. But honestly, I think most people know that you don't remember their name when you say it. <laughs> right? They still, they still feel that even though you got away with it, right? Right. So, Glenn, who, who's the who's your ideal audience for the book? Is it somebody who's just getting started in sales? Somebody who's been in it for a long time? Is, you know, is there ever a time when this book isn't fitting? Okay. So first, like a lot, a few people have said, you know, that are doing, uh, that they're able to do a lot of their work online. Like they're selling maybe SaaS or something where, you know, they, they schedule these online demos and these trials and you're trialing a software thing and the engineers come online and help. like that, you know, they don't really spend a lot of time, but when we upgraded our ERP system, I mean, the software companies were here, like they had to come to it. So anyone that's doing face-to-face selling, right? Like, you know, because all, you know, it's never sit in the lobby, never forget a face, you know, like, I mean, these are all things that, you know, when you're in the real world. So it's basically, you know, anyone that's selling or managing salespeople or people that manage people in, in an environment where you're doing face-to-face selling and which is a lot. And, um, you know, and I, I find it's really helpful for, uh, you know, managers and, and uh, you know, senior managers as well, because it allows them to challenge the people that are doing the work because they may not, they may not have read the book or they might, you know, might still be learning. They might not have had figured it out. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I tried to get in to see the Jackie at Jack's new place. He goes, well, did you ask for a mini tour? Right. Because, you know, like, so the boss can say that, like the sales manager. And then when the president hears that, the president will be asking the next dude, did you ask for a mini tour? Like, make sure you get a mini tour every time. Did you have something in your hand, something in your mind? No. Okay. Well, you better next time. Right. And, and so I find it's good for anyone that's managing a business and uh, managing people, managing, managing people relationships. Right. And, um, you know, there's other parts, the, you know, like the parts on, uh, you know, on um, like gratitude and empathy and active listening and stuff like that. Anybody can get, you know, get a lot out of that. And also you don't have to read the whole book. You can flip, flip to any page and you'll find a rule and you can read it, put the book down, flip to a different page, 
a week later, read another rule. It's like, oh, that's, that's a good rule, you know, and then start applying them. And then you find yourself repeating them over time, right? And so it's just like a little handbook of, of, uh, of little shortcuts on, on how to, you know, you know, how to short circuit the sales call and, and, uh, and also voicemails and emails. There's I spend time on email, email etiquette, voicemail, voicemail etiquette. When do you leave, you know, do you leave a voicemail? How do you write an email? You know, all that. I feel like this, this is a perfect book for maybe the 18 to 21 year olds out there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you, I work with a lot of guys that are older than that, that should read the book <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. You know, yeah. you know, that don't know how to write an email properly. Right. Me and, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're five paragraphs into his email and it's like, uh, you should have phoned me. Right. Like that's, uh, I'm not going to read your novel. Right. You know, and, um, so I have all sorts of rules about that. You know, if it takes more than a paragraph in an email, pick up the phone, right? And if you phone, always leave a voicemail, right? And uh, if you leave a voicemail, follow it up with an email. Yeah. Yeah. And if you leave a voicemail, it has to be 20 to 30 seconds long, no, nothing, never shorter, never longer, right? And, you know, everyone's like, why, 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 why all these things? Why do you have all these rules, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, did you ever, you know, did you ever see a 12 second email on your phone? Like I guarantee you, it's not, it's, it's, it's no one you want to talk to, right? They just, most people just delete those things, right? You want it to have it's a significant substance so that it's, so that people realize it's a real voicemail, but you don't want to be so long that they're like, oh my God, could you get to the point? Oh, hi, it's Glenn from Gap Wireless. Hope you're having a great day. Well, oh my God, it's so nice out today. Sorry I missed you directly, but I just wanted to get a hold of you and see if it, you're like, no, I'm like, hey, it's Glenn from Gap Wireless, you know? we're saving companies in your area over 20% on, uh, on measurement costs. I, you know, and I'd really like to talk to you about this new instrument. You know, I'm hoping I can get 15 minutes on your calendar. I'll send you an email to follow up by click boom, right. Just get right to the point why I'm calling what he's going to get out of it. And then I follow it up with an email. If he doesn't answer, I phone him back and um, it usually works because, you know, and um, how many times do you think you phone people to uh, get a hold of them on cold calls? Well, it, I find that it takes like, so we have a certain, like, we don't like harass the, the leads to death because they just become non-functional kind of thing. So we don't, so, but it takes really seven times to really get on their radar of, of phoning, emailing, visiting or whatever. And before you're, um, you know, you know, in order to really make an impact. So, but I'll usually like phone and then uh, email, right. And then phone again a few days later, you know, but, I'll phone only a few times and then if the lead's not responding, then I'll phone someone else to try to like, if I, especially if I need that person, try to get at them a different way. Right. And, um, sure. you know, and that's why I love that shit flows downhill one that where you start as high up as you can possibly go. And I use an example of selling a forklift, which I don't sell, but you know, and I call the CEO of the company and to sell them the forklift and I walk you through the story and the thing, right. Calling the CEO and I don't care about the freaking forklifts, man. Jack's the VP of warehousing. Why are you bothering me? You know, then I call Jack and I'm like, Jack, I just, oh, I just had a great call with the CEO. He said, I really need to touch base with you on these forklifts. And I'm the vice, vice, vice president of warehousing. I don't want to hear about your stupid tow motors. You know, you know, Bob's the guy who's head of distribution. He manages the warehouses. Bob, I've had a great afternoon. I've, I've been talking to the CEO, the VP. We've got these tow motors we really got to get them in for you guys to try Like you got the, this is amazing. Right. He's like, I, you got to talk to the warehouse lead, you know, <laughs> that that's Rick, right. Give Rick a call. 
And I'm so, but you can bet that Rick, by the time I've dropped the name of the CEO, the VP, the, the dis, director of distribution or warehousing or whatever, he's going to let me come in. Then when I bring in the tow motor, that's when I pull that other rule, which is like, I call the CEO back and I go, look, this $100,000 tow motor, there's no way this is getting bought without you looking at it. These guys, they've never lifted more, moved more, 20% better, you know, 20% more efficient, you know, this and that. You got to come down and have a quick look at it, right? And then you get the guy and, you know, come down and see the latest technology, which is what we sell. We sell technology, right? And it's cool. And, and then I know that once it's all done, I know where the PO is going. It's either going to the finance guy because I figured out where it's either going to go to the CEO or whatever. Then I can always go back to him because I know that it's not Rick who's signing off. Because Rick, if I just dealt with Rick, Rick would say, oh, yeah, I sent it up to the powers that be. And uh, I'm like, well, what's that? Right. And they're like, oh, the powers that be, you know, it's out of my hands. And I've, so my boss says, oh, you're selling the tow motor. And he's like, well, it's they sent it on to the powers that be. And, and, and so now, but I like, I know Rick probably sent up that uh, requisition about the tow motor. I just want to know if you have any questions before we start, you know, get some units in there. And, uh, you know, and the guy's like, ah, it's a hundred thousand dollars for these units. It's ridiculous. You know? And I'm like, Hey, why don't we set up a meeting? Uh, you know, I'll come by, we'll, you know, and I'll bring my such and such or whatever. And now you're talking to the real decision. maker, Right. And, uh, that's how I do it. And those are, you know, I like that flow for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to um, I'd like to go backwards a little bit to what you mentioned earlier, uh, your your business sales. And, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit um, what you learned through the first process and how it helped you through the second? Yeah, so the first one, um, we, it was a reverse takeover style deal where we got shares in a public company and um, the. Um, what I, the main the main thing that I realized was that I didn't do the proper due diligence on the purchaser, whereas the purchaser does due diligence on you, right? They create these data rooms, um, you know, and you have to, you know, provide all this, um, you know, backup, you know, your revenue for the last five years, all this stuff, right? And, um, but I didn't, you know, they had a couple of, let's say, feathers in their cap that they used as, you know, like, we're great because of this. They own a bunch of cell phone stores and they seem really great. The guy drove a DB nine, um, Aston Martin, you know, I was like a lot younger and I just sort of assumed that they were all that. And I didn't do proper due diligence on who was buying me. And I never, I didn't, honestly, I was just naive. I didn't understand the concepts of, you know, taking shares versus cash. I should have taken far more cash. Right. And, um, and so, uh, and you know, the craziest part about it was, we, we had, I think, a $2 million line of credit and $750,000 or so in the bank the day we went to the bank to sign all the documents to sign over the business. And um, the line of credit was at zero. And when I was driving back to the office after the, uh, signing the, uh, the stack of papers, you know, a foot high to sell the business, the bank manager called me and, you know, using expletives, he's like, what, you know, WTF, Glenn, I'm like, what? He's like, you know, you just maxed your line of credit and emptied your account. And I, cause we transferred over the accounts while we were signing and we signed over the banks did that within hours, they drained the money. They took all 750 grand out of the bank. They maxed the line of credit. One day we're broke, like not broke, but they took all our money. Right. And then they feed it to us in these chunks, started stretching our vendors from the first day. And, you know, and eventually they squeezed us to the point where our group went into the public company, not, did not, but 
we went into receivership and hundred people lost their jobs, right? So I said, well, <laughs> I'm never going to sell my business for shares again. That, so that's what I learned. And, um, wow. you know, and I'm going to spend more time figuring out who's buying me and what they're doing than, uh, than what I'm doing, right? I'll tell them what they need to know, but I'm going to spend all my time figuring out what you're doing. And so we, you know, we, we picked a really strong, um, you know, uh, company it's, you know, they have a very established track record and it's, it's public knowledge and, you know, um, and so that was the, you know, the biggest thing I learned was picking, you know, picking who your partner was is the, you know, the most important thing. Right. And, uh, and getting a significant amount of the business, the deal in cash. Right. Yeah. Man, that had to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I lost $5 million actually. Yeah. To put it in when the shares, I got $5 million of shares and um, you know, and I thought I was a 5 millionaire, but I couldn't sell it because I was an insider and I could only sell 1% of uh, every like 90 days or something for the first amount of time and uh, barely got to sell any of them. And then the shares and the public company went to like sub a penny and they became worthless. And yeah. And I literally either had to go get a job or start a new company. And so that was when I started Gap Wireless. And, uh, yeah, it hurt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, on the personal note of having that many people go unemployed, you know, yeah, it was, it was awful. It's a hard tug for sure. So, so, so the second time around, how long did it take to sell the company and, and what did you, uh, how did you do your DD on the buyer? Yeah. So we, um, uh, so it took about six months. And, um, the data room was much bigger on this deal. And, um, they use, you know, they use big accounting firms to check our due diligence and lawyers. And, um, so that in and of itself, the due diligence on the other thing only took a few days. Right. And, uh, this meanwhile took months to go through. Um, but we of course checked them online and then we called and spoke directly to, um, we're the third silo in this private equity firm. So we called we called the stakeholders and um, people that had stayed on in earlier silos and to find out about the, what's the process like, what are the people like, and they got a five-star rating. And um, when, and we also, we looked at the, um, the pedigree of the people that work for the, you know, the senior management team of the private equity firm and which is called grain management. And that's just top notch. I mean, it's a, it's a Washington DC based company, when you know they have people that you know senior managers from uh like federal departments like the fcc and the department of commerce you know go and work for this company so we realized that this was this was real the real deal and um you know and so and then we got to know them over the six months and got to realize that we liked them as well too and that they would they were going to be good to work with and um yeah and so we ended up feeling comfortable and and doing the deal some of the best lessons learned in business are some of the most expensive. Yeah. And, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to stand on someone else's shoulders and hopefully avoid the mistakes they made in our own business, that's a great opportunity. So yeah, it sounds like this book is, is a, is a great step in doing that. Um, it's, it's why we read. Sure. Um, Glenn, I'd love to keep the conversation going, but obviously we, we're, we're coming up on time. So before we jump off, I'm going to hand it over to Justin for the Wealth Watchers Brain Pick. Okay, great. All right, Glenn, five quick questions for you. First one, what is your superpower or unique natural ability? So, you know, my, my unique superpower is the ability to take action in the force of all, all other things being present. Like whatever the chaos or crisis, I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to take action. And, um, you know, or if we're doing a venture, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to plan where I think we can get it and I'm going to take action. I don't, you know, 
and and it's it's almost you know uh, it's not like I'm in you know ignorant of the risk, but I do it sort of in spite of it all. And um, I realize that it's 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 not completely unique, but a lot of people are like, but what about this and what about that and what? And I just you know I mean when when I brought the the deal in eight in ninety one to my first boss and said, hey, I want to start this business, they said no. I quit the next day. I'd only been married six six days started the business. And of course I sold it for millions of dollars, which became nothing, but, but, you know, and then, you know, and um, we've had, we've had, you know, taken, taken large chances and done lots of things, but it's to, to take that, that decision, make decisions in spite of fear and, and other, you know, anxiety. Excellent. Uh, if you were to go back three to five years, what might you've done differently that you wish you could have? Well, this is going to be not an answer that probably people are expecting to hear, but it would be, I would not, I would have taken better care of my, uh, my health. Right. And um, I'm not, I'm not like sick or anything like that, but I allowed myself to gain weight. And um, you know, um, I didn't take, didn't, didn't stick to proper dieting, you know, and fitness regimes. And I, you know, picked up, not only did I pick up 20 pounds, then I picked up COVID 20. Right. So, you know, now I'm, now I'm battling, you know, figuring out how to lose 40 pounds and, you know, get it off, keep it off. I should have, I never should have let that, uh, um, you know, and it was just basically, you know, not managing my stress. Right. And uh, using that as a crutch. And um, so, you know, what's good is any of it, if you're not healthy or if you don't, you know, and if you're not feeling healthy or feeling good about yourself. So I would have actually stayed the weight I was five years ago. If I could go back five years. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I appreciate the candidness on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then where are you headed in the next three to five years? So I'm hoping, I'm hoping like these uh, private equity deals, they ask you to stay. And then in three to five years, they, they flip them into a new private equity type. That's usually the way these things work. You grow it to a bigger thing and then a bigger private equity company buys it. And I'll be, you know, 63 to 65 at that time. So I'm hoping that I can, sort of that would be my ability to exit at that point. I've stayed for the one round and I'm hoping, you know, that I'm trying to build a, you know, some sort of a, a bit of a brand so I can maybe do a little bit of public speaking. I'm not going to need a new, really a new job or anything. I don't need a bunch of it, but I'd love to, you know, be able to go to a few places and speak at a few events and share some of the the stories I learned along the way. And that would be, you know, so that would be my, that would be amazing for me. Excellent. Yeah. And what is your favorite book on business or money besides your own? Uh, well, it took me, you know, it, 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 it took me a few times to get, uh, you know, really to, to get it right. But I, I'd have to say it's the, the, the rich, the concepts in rich dad, poor dad. And, um, but the, you know, um, the, the most powerful book that's helped me in business is really the power of now from Eckhart Tolle, which is not really a business book, but it really helps you to focus on your mindset and that's helped me a lot. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I just love the lessons that are taught in, in, the, in, in rich dad, poor dad and, um, you know, working for money and invest, you know, and versus owning a business and, yeah. you know, but you got to read it a few times. You really have to, you know, you can't just skim through it and think, you know, what you gotta, you gotta know it and read it and learn it and live it. Right. Yeah. Most importantly, living it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right. What, and what has been your biggest aha moment? So my biggest aha moment is that when you get that big check, it's not going to change your life. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to, uh, 
you know, like I thought, oh, when I get the money and then I'm going to be happy. Right. I'm like, well, why aren't you happy now? Like, right. So if you're not happy, there's a chapter, whole chapter on being miserable in my book, call it the miserability index. And, um, you know, you might get a momentary spike from the money, but the money will not change you fundamentally. It will not make you happier. You buy a fancy car. You just got more insurance. You got to find a new spot in your garage where you're going to store it in the winter. You know, um, I actually had a fancy sports car in order. I canceled it because I realized fast enough that that wasn't going to make me happy. And I realized that the money, when I lost the money, I didn't care. And when I got the money, I mean, I care, obviously I like the money, but I mean, what I mean is it didn't make me happy. And it was the, you know, it's just everything else that I'm doing, whether that, you know, when I'm working on things at work and that stuff's the, what makes me happy. And the, the money's great. It's a measurement and a yardstick or whatever, but it was quite a shock to me when I realized that, you know, you know, that it wasn't, it didn't really change my state, you know? And, um, and so, you know, now I'm realizing it's what I get to do every day and, um, you know, get to work on growing this business and, you know, that, that that's where I'm getting my joy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Glenn. Thanks. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Glenn. And, and Glenn, your book is never sit in the lobby. Uh, where can we get the book? So it's available. You can go to glennpoolis.com and link to any one of the websites where they sell books or go, just go to Amazon directly and just type in never sit in the lobby. and It'll come right up. Barnes and Noble chapters in Canada, anywhere, anywhere the books are sold. Okay. Perfect. Glenn. Thank you so much for your time today. Grateful having you on. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. This has been another episode of the Wealth Watchers podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy from my co-host, Justin Hoggett and I. Thanks for stopping by. All right, guys. Appreciate you for listening and give us that five-star rating. Appreciate it. Until next time. This has been the Wealth Watchers podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Join us on Facebook where our members and guests are actively engaging in discussions on wealth growing strategies by searching for Wealth Watchers Community on Facebook. 